It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it's only something to your own life. Beat it up and I've seen got no feet. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Make fire in the fire, but it's just a gang from the government for hiring the combat site. Make it wasn't coming in a hurry, but you are getting down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of Doom and Bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a miraculous moment of monumentality in a miserable world. What was that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was a bird. I think it was a bird in the background. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find a thousand, wow, posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And I'm also known as Nurse Amy. And the squawking in the background is TD. Is TD Bird. TD. And we're going to release a secret, a 30-year-old uh. <laughs> secret. <laughs> that we that, didn't know. <laughs> that we didn't know until just recently in just a second. But first, I just want to say that we are the gang of two. We're actually three right now. Uh, and we are here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. So, oh, wait. Yes. One second. Yes. I have a, an announcement. What? Friends and neighbors. Friends and neighbors. Have you been injured in an accident? In an accident. With a churlish chipmunk. A churlish chipmunk. Our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Brones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Brones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but when times are tough, what are you going to do when someone gets hurt or injured? You're going to have a lot of hurt on your hands, citizen, if you don't show the world you got more sense than a case of crackers by <laughs> learning what to do for injuries and illness in times of trouble. I thought you were going to say a bag of bones. A bag of bones. That would be funny. <laughs> And while you're at it, you know what? Get some medical supplies, a good medical kit to go along with all that knowledge. What better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle medical issues you'll face in any disaster, and they're designed by yours truly, and honest to gosh, 
<laughs> Honest to gosh is what I tried to say. Medical doctor and hers truly, an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Compare our kits for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff. Please, please do that. Or just ask anyone who's ever bought one and you'll agree our kits are the ones you should have in your medical storage. Well, can the I, secret yes. that we are going to reveal... Wait, can I say that my kits are... Zombie creator approved. Zombie creator approved. Yes, without oh, without can. any other specifics. Okay. All right. Yes. <laughs> Our kits are zombie creator approved. All right. Take that as you guys would like to take it. <laughs> that, that is a secret. If somebody can figure out what we mean by that, send us an email to drbonespodcast <laughs> at aol com, and you will indeed get a prize. <laughs> Hey, you know what? We learn as much from you as you do from us. So give us some education, Prepper Nation. It is so easy. Just give us a ring. Here's the lovely nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. Um, email us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Twitter at Prepper Show. You can join our Facebook group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. Also, like and follow us on our Doom and Bloom page, Doom and Bloom. Gee, that's a hard one to remember. That is this, hard. So That's hard. the only one that makes true sense. <laughs> Doom and Bloom page for Doom and Bloom. Yes. Uh, let's see. Our YouTube. Lots of great videos to watch. Educational. And that is a DR Bones Nurse Amy. That is absolutely right. Oh, I wanted to talk about what our secret was. Well, for 30 years, we've had an African gray parrot. Uh And the African gray parrot is not dimorphic. A dimorphic creature is like a human. Uh, The female and the male of the species look different. They are built somewhat differently. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) That's right. And the... African the birds gray look parrot, exactly the same. They do, whether Boys, they're a boy girl, or a girl, they look pretty much about the no, same. Not really size difference or nope. color differentiation, nope. nothing. Nothing like that. So we never knew whether TD bird, which stands for that... Uh, Dern. Dern bird. Uh, whether This is a family-friendly yes, show. Yes, Whether mm-hmm. TD was indeed a male or a female until just... About Saturday? Saturday. I think Saturday was where, the first. Right, where we uh, found a TD <laughs> in a box, and uh, he well, we was... we had put TD in a box. She, he, likes to play in a box and chew it up. It's yep. like a activity, because they're super smart. Absolutely. Loves boxes. And sure enough, some weird behavior later... Biological stimulation occurred. Occurred, and <laughs> indeed... TD laid eggs, oh, and so but far one, has laid one a day, one every two or three days. But I'm saying one, one, yep. one at a time per day, every two to three days. And we've got, I think this is our fourth one we have. That's the fourth egg, yeah. Wow. And they have clutches of up to five or six, maybe five eggs, I think. So probably <laughs> almost done. Be funny. <laughs> but sure enough. TD is indeed a girl. a girl. We never knew for sure. It's a girl. We never knew we for sure until little, just a few days we ago. We should throw a, a baby shower for you. Oh. That you have a baby girl. That, yes. <laughs> so that's our announcement. It's a girl. All right. Well, let's talk but a little bit. my kids are still uh-huh. zombie creator approved. That's right. <laughs> I have to figure out what that means. That was so exciting. Sorry. Now, 
<laughs> California's fires, far from being out, but they are indeed making progress. They have killed at least 41 people and have burned, that's the bird, and have burned <laughs> about 5,700 structures, 213,000 acres since they Explode, exploded really. Yeah, I've heard uh, six thousand. I mean, the numbers yeah. keep going up. It's oh, insane. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's. I'm sure I'm definitely behind uh, right. in terms of this. I think there's a few more people that they might have found. Maybe forty nine. I think they Are might you be up kidding? to forty nine. Forty nine. But people? at least six thousand structures. Wow, it's that is just amazing. And I'm sure many more horrible. acres of land that uh, oh. have been totally burnt down to this the ground. This makes the Gatlinburg fires look like a little campfire. Yes, we lost I mean, about seriously. Yeah, we lost about 2000 structures here and uh, only about 15,000 acres something like that. And only 14 people passed. Right. Well, here. the thing is is that these are record totals for a state that's actually very used to wildfire. All the fires. time. So this is a, a, an amazing number. There are still thousands of firefighters at work fighting blazes. And still, quite a few people remain under uh, evacuation uh, orders from their home. A few don't now. I mean, they are lifting some of them, I hear. Yeah, I just want to say thank you to uh, those that have served the community, either through being a firefighter or an EMT. They're, they had police officers going through neighborhoods as the flames were there, making announcements. They have videos of them rescuing people and helping to evacuate them. I mean... We have true-blooded American heroes in California fighting this fire, and I just want to personally say thank you from both of us for everything all of you have done, even the unsung heroes that were just a neighbor or somebody driving by, helping someone else, even just giving someone you know, some water. I mean, we all come together, we all help each other, and that's the only way this country is going to survive, and I just want to say thank you. And absolutely the best statement of the day Aww. from my from my end. I well, can, it's hard. I can't. I it's cannot. Heartfelt. I cannot improve on that. Uh, I will say that we did talk about wildfire defense last week, so I'm not going to talk about that this week. But if but you want to listen to it, just, go back to the archive, right? And just check out last week's show, and absolutely. and you'll see it now. Today, actually, I'm going to talk about your survival medicine cabinet and some of the things that I would like you to have in your supplies that are related to medicines. And uh, I've talked a lot about uh, antibiotics before and things like that, but what I'd like to talk about today is the -the over-the-counter stuff Mm -hmm. that I think is very important for you to have. So let's talk a little bit about maybe a dozen of these different medicines that are very, very important. And... They're there to deal with uh, a wide variety of problems. Uh, a lot of these, by the way, once were by prescription only, and some of these have had prescriptions lifted, so th- this is a good thing for the survival medic. Very useful stuff, uh, not just for their effects, but for the fact that now you can stockpile these in quantity. Right. Now, given the complexity of manufacturing pharmaceuticals, most over-the-counter drugs will be nearly impossible to produce after a collapse occurs, uh, even aspirin, the oldest manufactured drug, will not be available, at least not in a form that you'd recognize, after a true disaster hit, a long-term disaster hits us. So you've got to accumulate some of these medicines before a catastrophe hits, and you should accumulate them in some number. Absolutely, and, and that's the easy part. This is actually the easiest thing to get because they're in grocery stores, they're 
in pharmacies, they're everywhere and they don't need a prescription. So this is what you really can accumulate without having to worry about someone looking over your shoulder. Exactly. So, and oh, you've bought too much Tylenol. What are you doing? Or Sudafed. Or Sudafed. No, yeah. Sudafed, that's, that's a little touchy there. Yes. You have to show a driver's license and have your name written down in Florida. That's right, because so, it's used in the Don't go meth. buying Sudafed at every pharmacy in one day, or someone just might come knocking. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so let's put together a list of what you absolutely should have in quantity as part of your medical supplies. And so I'm going to list these by their generic names. I'll, I'll, I'll mention you as brand names uh, where... Uh, where I can, well, so that's uh, and a, I'm going to talk about that's pretty how, much adult doses. Sure, but that's how most people, you know, think about these medicines. Like, instead of saying ibuprofen, a lot of people say, oh, I took an Advil. They might not have even taken the brand name. Right. You know what I'm saying? They might have actually taken a generic that just said ibuprofen right. on it, but a lot of people relate a certain brand name. Like, I bet you there's people who buy toilet paper and say, honey, did you get the Charmin? Right. And it, they might be bear, buying generic, but somehow their brain has tagged on the branding. Clorox. Right. People say, oh, did you buy some Clorox? They don't say, did you buy bleach? Right. A lot of times they'll just say, hey, honey, do we have any Clorox? And it's just a brand name. So um, it, it's really funny how that happens. Well, let's start with what you started with, which was <laughs> ibuprofen. Okay. I think that's a pretty good start. All right. And ibuprofen, as you know, is a very popular pain reliever. Uh, Advil, Motrin are a couple of brand names. Uh, it's anti-inflammatory. It reduces fever. It's useful for a lot of different problems. If you've got arthritis, it can help you with your arthritis pain. If you've got a strain or a sprain. I know. Uh, or other traumatic injury, it can help with pain. If you're trying to pass an egg. You're trying to pass an egg, <laughs> and you're a parrot. Maybe you can take an Advil or a, an ibuprofen. Well, anyhow, the bottom line is that it is really useful as a stockpile item, and I want you to have a lot of this stuff available. Uh, it reduces inflammation, so if you've got an area that's injured, it will help. Uh, it will help joints that are inflamed, things like that. Yeah, reduces fevers from infections. Uh, the one thing about ibuprofen is some people. If they take high enough dose, they could have some stomach upset or some other gastrointestinal oh. issues. They're the main side effect. Uh, when you can have an overdose. I had that. It was before I knew you. I had an ibuprofen overdose. I had an allergic reaction to it. My tongue swelled and my throat got tight. I don't have an allergy. I just overdosed on it and I had to go to the hospital. My gosh, how much of that stuff did you take? Well... I had some surgery, and I didn't want to take pain medicine. And, I, you know, I just didn't pay attention to the label. The pain medicine actually had a pretty strong dose of ibuprofen in it. But I was taking ibuprofen in between the pain medicine, so I wouldn't take so much pain medicine. So I was taking four ibuprofen in between taking one pain pill. So in 24 hours, I, I don't even know how many milligrams, some ridiculous dose of ibuprofen. But I thought I'd talk to him like this. And I called my doctor and I said, what did I do? Oh, my gosh. He says, go to the hospital. Of course, he's going to tell me to go to the hospital. But I'm a little loopy on pain medicine. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go. Within five minutes of them giving me the shot, my tongue went down. But So you can overdose on ibuprofen. Don't just think it's like drinking water it, it does have effects if you take too much 
Well, let me then tell you how much you should take. <laughs> Ibuprofen, you could use one, take one or two every four hours. Limit. You can take three every six hours. And for severe pain, you can take four every eight hours. So you have to spread. The more you take, the more they need to be spread out. Well, that's what I was doing. I was doing four every eight hours. But in between that, I was taking the pain medicine. Well, I think Which I didn't drug, realize had right, ibuprofen in it. Also in it. Oh. Yes. Right, you never know. A double dose. Right, you never know about drug interactions. Lots of oh. lots of these drugs have are, are combinations of one of two or three different things. Yeah. And indeed, sure enough, you could wind up overdosing on something I, if you're mixing and matching. It's true. I do want to say I was young, and I you were young. wasn't a nurse yet. You're still yet. young. No, I was really young, and I wasn't a nurse yet. I think I was in nursing school, but I wasn't actually a nurse yet. So. That's my excuse. I was unaware. <laughs> All right. Well, you are forgiven, and I'm glad that you're... It was silly. I'm oh, glad you're how okay. How embarrassing. They're like, oh, you're in nursing school? Oh. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about aspirin. Aspirin is sort of in the same family. It's a pain reliever, fever reducer, anti-inflammatory, and it's been around since the late 19th century. Uh, it was originally obtained from the underbark of willow trees, Although I think poplar trees and aspen trees also have some of the ingredient that goes into aspirin, which is called salicin. Mm-hmm. Aspirin sometimes is called salicylic acid. Uh, aspirin has a little bit more of a blood thinning uh, effect than, let's say, ibuprofen does, but it is something that may be very helpful. It's extremely inexpensive, very easy to put together quite a bit of it. You sure. Can, Aspirin can give you a stomach upset, but you can get what they call enterically coated aspirin, and that has some coating that doesn't allow it to uh, dissolve until it gets beyond your stomach. Exactly. And so as a result, Protects that's the helpful. A little more. Now, the one thing that may be useful, that aspirin may be useful for, that ibuprofen doesn't uh, really have a significant effect on, would be if you needed to take a blood thinner, if you were a person that was on a blood thinner who weren't able to find any anymore because of some terrible disaster that mm-hmm. happened. They're not making this stuff anymore. You have some aspirin. It might be a way to thin your blood somewhat. It's not as strong as some of the other medicines that they have for that. Right. But aspirin may be helpful. It may be all you have that well, might have that you effect. you know what else you can do? Um, you can drink a lot of vodka. Yes. Just kidding. Absolutely, yeah. That, then you won't Alcohol care. Alcohol does thin your blood. So yeah. be careful with those interactions, which is really why I was bringing it up. It's also get very... The, I'm yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, get the alcohol for bartering. Yeah, there you go. Um, or, or tooth extractions. There you go. Good good idea. There you go. Now, if you ha- suspect somebody of having a heart attack, actually, an aspirin, is very useful. Of course, many people will take a baby aspirin daily. A lot of men and women take da- uh, a baby aspirin to help prevent the advancement of coronary artery disease, uh, the condition that causes heart attacks. Uh, but if you're having a heart attack, you need to chew an adult aspirin immediately, a full adult aspirin. Well, I was just going to say it also helps, according to studies these days, help prevent breast cancer. So yes, women I read that too. Yes, should definitely be taking it both for heart disease, which is a commonly overlooked problem in women. Yes. You always you always see in movies the man having the heart attack, you know, like The Godfather and stuff. You never see the wife having a heart attack on, in movies. When's the last time you saw a woman have a heart attack in a movie? 
I can't but remember. Ha- but men no. have them all the time. Yeah. In movies. That's scary so for pe- me. So, so, but people don't realize how um, terrible heart disease is as a risk for women. It's very overlooked. And by the way, this is um, breast cat. Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Month, that's right. So, October is Breast Awareness Month. Here's my PSA, my mm-hmm. public service announcement. Yes. Please, everyone, tell your sisters and your wives and your mothers and your daughters, depending on their age. And if you're a woman, please, everyone, get your mammogram. Make sure everything's up to date. Don't forget it. Early detection can be the matter of life and death. All right. You should start that at age 40. Yes. Absolutely. Um, with aspirin, you want to take two at two of those every four hours for pain uh, for, or to, to reduce fever, to decrease inflammation. So this is something that would be uh, helpful. You could, of course, also consider taking, if you took more than uh, that, you might get more of a blood thinning effect, but there's no actual amount that's considered appropriate there's right. no, there's no, no study right. or hard scientific data well why would they why would the drug companies compare a aspirin cheap, which is over the counter unregulated medicine. as far as them having patents on it and to something that's over the counter you know that, to their medicine yeah. exactly they're, they're just not going to do it. they're not going to say oh gee we did this five-year study and it turns out aspirin's better than what, is, yeah. <laughs> what are some of those blood thinning? I don't even remember. Coumadin and heparin. Oh, no, I was thinking about some Plavix. of the Plavix. that's it. I was thinking of that. A lot of the different fancy medicines. ones. Yes, yeah, so very, so yeah, they make a bundle. They'll never those. do a research study for that. Well, there you go. Uh, but good to have with you. It's certainly an appropriate thing to do. A lot of our kits have aspirin and ibuprofen both in as part of their contents. Now, the other medicine useful for pain and reducing fever is acetaminophen, otherwise known as Tylenol. That comes in 325 milligram doses, and the extra strength is, I think, 650 or 500. Oh, I think it's 500, actually. Uh, and that's a popular pain reliever, fever reducer. can be used with many, many different problems uh, that you can take ibuprofen or aspirin for, and it has the added benefit of not causing stomach irritation or thinning the blood. You don't want to thin your blood unless you absolutely have to for some medical reason. And so it is really awesome for pain, awesome for fever. The only problem is it doesn't have the anti-inflammatory effect that ibuprofen or aspirin have. So basically, I think this is a a great medicine, maybe not for joint pain or, or other kinds of pain related to uh, inflammation, but it's excellent for general treatment of pain, good for fever uh, in children, especially at lower doses, and it comes in regular strength and in extra strength. It's also good for post-op surgical patients who do have a risk of bleeding, who have been told not to take aspirin products before they had their surgery, and, of course, not to drink alcohol because we just talked about the blood-thinning effects of alcohol. But Tylenol post-op for surgery, certain surgeries, is better than the ibuprofen, of course, better than aspirin because you don't want to have post-op bleeding when you have a surgical procedure. Some of those are really dangerous. So uh, 
Take, for instance, my uh, daughter's boyfriend had his nose broken, which is a whole nother story. And um, he just had surgery for it. And he accidentally took an ibuprofen. Of course, my daughter freaked out. I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. A couple ibuprofen's not going to hurt him. But switched to Tylenol because he still had the packing in his nose. Oh, boy. And, you know, there's quite a risk. That's very vascular inside the sinuses. Oh, yeah. You know, where, where he had the surgery. So she switched over to Tylenol for him, for his discomfort. All right. So well, sometimes it's well, pretty sometimes useful. it's a little better. Yep. Useful yep. to have that also. So you yep. should have all three Absolutely. of those pain relievers. Now let's talk about something other than just pain relief. Let's talk about what might commonly happen where water is questionable, and that's diarrhea. There's a high likelihood of food and water contamination off the grid. Uh, so this medicine that I'm going to talk about right now, which is called loperamide, uh, otherwise known as Imodium as a brand name, two milligrams. Oh, boy, that uh, saved this, our lives a few times. Oh, yeah, this medicine Woo! is an essential anti-diarrheal agent. Hallelujah, Imodium. That's right. <laughs> it slows the movement of intestinal uh, fluids through the body. It winds up causing less water loss that occurs from the body as well and decreases the chance of developing dehydration, which is a known killer in pretty off-grid, austere settings. So, you know, make sure that you have the ability ability to stop having fluid loss from diarrhea. That's going to be very important. Now, of course, if you have more than just simple diarrhea, if you have a very high fever and diarrhea, or if you have bloody stools and diarrhea, well, then maybe you shouldn't take Imodium or Loperamide. That's something that is important. Another medicine that's useful is Pepto-Bismol, otherwise known as bismuth subsalicate. So, actually, subsalicylate, excuse me. It's an alternative to loperamide. You can use it for uh, diarrhea. It slows the speed at which fluid moves through your intestines, so that's something very useful. It's also very good for reducing inflammation in your stomach. and helps keep certain bacteria and viruses that cause diarrhea from growing well in the stomach or intestines well just don't get it in the liquid because the liquid guy <laughs> used to call it puke juice <laughs> <laughs> because whenever my mother would make me drink it i would definitely up chuck what just went down <laughs> so get they have those tablets now the chewables oh yeah chewable yeah they don't sure. taste too bad and um they stay down which is good but it, yes, <laughs> and also good. for storage in the the tablet is right. going to last much longer much than longer the liquid. Much longer than the liquid, Exactly, yes. so it's even a better storage method. Now, some people do say that the fluid or the liquid version will coat the stomach better, but I think that Blech. not much of a difference. Blech. Yeah, there you go. Sorry. <laughs> That's just my personal experience. Yours might be different. Now, let's talk about some other ones. Uh, with uh, diarrheal disease, you might have nausea and vomiting, so you also want to have something that can help take care of that. Uh, I think meclizine, M-E-C-L-I-Z-I-N-E, or otherwise known as antivert, antivert yep. is very useful for that. It comes in various dosages, 12.5, 25, 50 milligrams, and it's a medication that helps prevent nausea and vomiting. It's often used to prevent motion sickness, so you may be taking something like this if you're going on a cruise uh, or if you get air sick, uh, is that or what I OD'd the family on when we went on our yes. whale watching? Yes, 
Yes. You, <laughs> in Monterey. Exactly. This California. Is, and it's very important. Oh my God. We had all five of our kids and they were young and everyone was afraid to go on the boat. It was really, really choppy. Yes, Remember? It was. It was pretty choppy. And I said, well, we And there need, are whales around. We <laughs> need to take something. So I gave everybody doses of this anti-nausea medicine, not paying attention to <laughs> what was in it. And we all ended up sleeping. They denounced whale, whatever side of the boat it was on. We'd all wake up, run up, look at it, take pictures, and then go back down, go to our table, and go fast asleep. Sure enough, it is a pretty potent Woo! sleep aid Very. or anti-anxiety medication. So it does do double duty, but you always have to take it for what you really want it to do. Yeah. So if you're going well, to be... Well, none of us uh, threw up. That's true. <laughs> we did. We weren't sick. We just were sort of comatose. <laughs> so very useful for dizziness, very useful uh, for nausea and oh, vomiting. Goodness, helps stories. you sleep. Uh, I would take maybe one 25 milligram tablet an hour before boat, boarding a boat or maybe uh, 50 milligrams a total total in a day uh, in divided doses if you have dizziness or anxiety or if at night before going to sleep. I think this is something that will be different in different people. So yes. The, Start with the low dose is yes. my highest recommendation because that just might work fine and not make you sleeping. Exactly <laughs> make right. You sleep. <laughs> Let's switch into another mode here and let's talk a little bit about antibiotic ointment. There are a lot of different types. There's Neosporin, there's Bacitracin, there's Bactroban, there's triple antibiotic ointment. And it's very important to know that when injuries penetrate skin, it puts us at risk for infections that could have pretty life-threatening consequences if they get into the bloodstream. Now, triple antibiotic ointment or single drug ointment is applied at the site of injury to prevent an infection from occurring. Now, these products don't really cure deep infections. So if you have a deep a bad infection, you come across someone with a bad infection, you can't just put triple right. antibiotic ointment. Like an abscess. Or I mean, it's just right. not going to work. It is just not going to work. You would need you know, strong oral medicine or IV antibiotics for that. But using the ointment immediately after an injury, before the infection takes hold, may eliminate the need to use scarce and precious supplies, maybe your, your other antibiotics and right. things like that. Now, I'm going to throw my two cents in here. I know you're going to completely agree with me. That rather than waste your time or money on triple antibiotic, just get raw honey, raw unprocessed honey, and put that on every scratch and scrape and laceration and cut immediately after washing thoroughly the wounds. Well, indeed, a lot of people and do then say cover it up. do say that there's a distinct antibacterial effect with regards to honey, and so it has been used. Uh, in burns, it has been used in yep. in wounds. Uh, staph, to, it kills staph infections. So very useful for a lot of stuff. So indeed, if you have a beehive, then you may not have to get as much antibiotic ointment <laughs> as the next guy. Or just or, buy a five-gallon of raw processed honey and put it somewhere. It will never, ever, ever, ever go bad. Ever. That's true. It could crystallize. Never. And that's fine. Over time. But all you have to do is heat it up and it will become liquid again. But don't heat it up like like boil it. Heat it up. If you just take a little bit, even just in a Ziploc bag, and tuck it under your armpit or between your hands, it'll warm it up plenty. 
and, and it'll, that's true. it'll melt and it you won't affect um, the good stuff inside of the raw honey. Just like everything else, if you heat it up significantly, it could denature exactly the actual uh, medical effect or beneficial medical effect of the honey. Yep. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, there's hydro. In turn, let's talk a little bit more about creams. Hydrocortisone cream is a mild steroid, very effective for rashes. Usually comes in one percent, but there are other uh, strengths. Uh, you'll use that cream for various types of skin infections that cause redness or flakiness, itching, eczema, for example, um, would be one specific one that reminds me uh, that would be useful. It's it's just a mild steroid that reduces inflammation and such. It can help symptoms of allergic dermatitis, diaper rash, mm-hmm. just a lot of different things. You'd have to apply it several times a day to the affected area, and you have to be sort of good about doing it. Oh, so. hydrocortisone is awesome. Absolutely. Especially things that are itchy. Yeah, you have it in a number of your kits, too. Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. That's right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, colds and flus. You want to have a nasal decongestant, uh, an over-the-counter nasal decongestant, um, something like a pseudofen, uh, not not pseudofen, yeah. um, phenylephrine. Phenylephrine is the non-pseudoved version, version. version of na- <laughs> of nasal de- decongestant. Very useful, and it is uh, available over the counter. And they will not write your name down and give you uh, <laughs> the stink eye for getting it. Unlike uh, pseudofrin, pseudofrin. I just, I just is... know the pseudofed works. I'm sorry. So she likes pseudofed. All right. It just works. Right. It I works. don't even want to try the the new fangled fake stuff works to make a great uh brand of meth right yeah right there you go yes i'm i'm going to start a new one let's see they already had that blue one let's do rainbow we'll do rainbow wow (laughs) yeah like i know how to do crazy baby Uh, another antihistamine that's useful is Benadryl, diphenhydramine. That comes in 25 or 50 milligram dosages. It alleviates itching, rashes, nasal congestion, other symptoms of uh, allergic reactions. It also helps drain nasal passages and some respiratory infections. And at the higher 50 milligram dose, it is a pretty darn effective sleep aid. Probably puts you right to sleep. Use 25 milligrams, therefore, about every six hours for mild reactions and 50 milligrams every six hours for anxiety or at night before sleep or maybe a, a, a little bit more of an allergic reaction. In and of itself, it wouldn't work fast enough to replace an EpiPen, though. No, absolutely not. Now, um, that is actually the ingredient in Tylenol PM. It's yes. Tylenol and Benadryl. So it's nothing fancy there. They just added some Benadryl knowing that it caused sleepiness in most people. But I will say that if you take enough Benadryl, that 50, you might have sort of a hangover the next morning sort of a fuzzy feeling you can't think real clearly um it's hard to get up and get motivated so uh, i'm not sure benadryl is an awesome sleep med uh you might want to try um oh what's that um the one with the m that's the natural one melatonin 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 but at the low dose of melatonin which i think the lowest is a 2.5 Try, try that for sleeply, sleeplessness. There you go. Okay, so that, I think, is pretty good advice. Uh, you might consider an antacid as well. A lot of people will be eating things that may not agree with them, and so, therefore, they might get heartburn. And there are a lot of different types. There's Prilosec, Tagamet, Zantac, uh, 
These are uh, respectively Tums. known as uh, omeprazole, cimetidine, ranitidine. Uh, and Tums is just basically calcium carbonate. Right. Basically, it's like what a, cal- a seashell is made of. There you go. You know? <laughs> so it's, it's something that is very useful. It'll calm heartburn, queasiness, stomach upset. And this is something that is pretty common. Now, calcium in and of itself is not the only thing that will relieve heartburn. Magnesium will too. So Maalox, Mylanta, these will work for that too. But it may, may um, I think they're mostly used in liquid form. Although I no, have seen, have, I have seen them in chewables. They do have the chewables, which again, I think you're going to get a much longer expiration date on the chewables if stored mm. properly. Now there's a, a condition now that's. Uh, really made the news that you hear all over the place called GERD, and that's G-E-R-D, that's uh, gastroesophageal reflux disease, and that's when you don't have a very good uh, closure at the bottom of your esophagus, the tube that goes from your mouth to your stomach, and the acid just sort of sort of splashes its way up, and uh, that can cause ulcer disease, it can cause... Uh, a lot of pain due to the acid, and so these are the types of medicines that you want to have around to help deal with that. Now, there are other uh, creams and powders that are available for various skin conditions. Uh, there is antifungal pow- powder. Now, uh, let's say Lotrimin is one of them, Clotrimazole, and then there's Monistat, which is Micondazole. These come in creams or powders, and... Uh, Infections aren't always bacterial. They are not skin infections are usually not viral, particularly unless you're talking about herpes, for for example. But they don't have to be bacterial. They could be caused by a fungus. And so, athletes' feet, vaginal yeast infections, ringworm, jock itch, all of this stuff is a skin or skin infections caused by funguses. These conditions are going to be just as common in times of trouble as they are now. Probably more likely because of trouble with hygiene. So you would want to apply some of this stuff, Lotrimin or, or Monistat, twice a day externally. The uh, Monistat's really used intra inside the vagina for vaginal infections. And some of these come in different strengths. In some, the whole treatment course is done in one day. In others, it takes three days or a week, depending on what you got. Now, don't forget multivitamins. Multivitamins in a a collapse in which the, there's not the availability of a good variety of food and you just can't guarantee good nutrition for your people, well, there's going to be dietary deficiencies. It's not just calories, lack of calories, but lack of vitamins and minerals. It's vitamin C deficiency, for example, leads to something called scurvy. And so to prevent these issues, you should have plenty of multivitamins and they come in commercial form, they come in natural form. You can find them in various... Uh, let's say vitamin C you can find in citrus uh, and also you can find in the green leaves of many pine trees. And so you should know where to find these naturally or or you should have at the very least plenty of multivitamins in your medical storage. Now you don't have to take these on a daily basis like it tells you on the bottle. Many multivitamins do give you much more than you actually need if you take them daily. In most cases you just excrete what your body can't absorb in your urine or your bowel movements. But I think that in any situation where you don't know necessarily where your next meal is coming from, maybe taking a multivitamin once a week, if you happen to have it, it won't 
fill you up, but it probably would might be sufficient to prevent serious problems with deficiencies. So, so some of these over-the-counter drugs are are just they're just a few of the ones that I think might be useful tools for the medical woodshed in times of trouble and. You can find more information about these in the physician's desk reference for over-the-counter medications. It has descriptions, images, risks and benefits, the dosages and side effects. So consider this book for your survival library. I also want to mention something about storage. Um, these things can be stored like you store food. So you want to go dry and cool and dark. What you don't want to do is remove a lot of medicines from their original containers. They're put in those containers to extend their shelf life. There for a reason. They are there for a reason. So don't empty a bunch of pills into, say, Mylar bags and then vacuum pack them. and Oxygen absorbers. Yeah, put them in five-gallon buckets uh, without their labels. Um, It's not necessary. If you do want to vacuum pack them, Fine, but please don't take the labels off. You're going to forget what the actual expiration date was, what the dose is, what the name of it was. Um, you know, even if you've marked something up with markers, that could smear. So keep the original labels and in the original bottles. That's one thing. But you don't have to put them in a deep freezer. Right. Okay? That doesn't help them. In fact, some medicines actually are harmed by being too cold. I don't. I'm not sure everyone knows that, but it is possible to be too cold. Yes, very few medicines need to be frozen. Most of them should be stored in relatively cool temperatures. They'll last longer in terms of their potency if you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd rather store something at 50 degrees than 90 degrees, for example. But you do not have to freeze them. So you just want to have plenty of these, the various medicines that we mentioned, in your survival Supplies. Lots you of want, options. You want to have a lot of options. Absolutely. You can deal with a lot of different issues. And that is, I think, a, a good collection. If you can put all those together, I think you'll be ahead of the game. Well, like I said, the good thing about uh, pretty much everything we mentioned is that it's over-the-counter. So you talked about an alternative for aspirin. We talked about an alternative for neosporin. Uh, there are other alternatives to, say, hydrocortisone. There are certain essential oils that are anti-inflammatory and help um, decrease things like itching and redness. Um, so take a look at some alternatives, too, and, and get everything. Don't just get herbal. Don't just get over-the-counter. Get a mixture. Right. Because you never know. integrated exactly. in your approach. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, you know, when we travel from North Carolina to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, we go through the Smoky Mountain, Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Which we Park. just did 48 hours ago. That's right. How long and, have we been here? Two days? <laughs> and we pass areas that clearly have been the focus of a landslide yes. along the way. And of the natural... there's two. Yeah, there two at least two on the area. One's really bad. Now, of, of all the natural disasters that could befall a community, that's one that we rarely talk about, honestly. We, have, we don't talk every day no. about mudslides, no. which is surprising for us, really, because we live here on a cliffhanger on Ski Mountain <laughs> in Gatlinburg. That's what these houses, cliffhangers. Right, and we could easily be victims of one. We live on a slope, and, and how much of a slope? Well, let's just say you don't want to fall off our deck. 
and not just because of the bears. Yeah, right. <laughs> so mudslides can be huge. They can be small. Everything, every, every case is different. And it's sometimes called a debris flow, basically a landslide with a high water content. Mudslides act sort of like a river, a slow-moving, mostly slow-moving river that, if the mud is thick enough, has the consistency of wet concrete and is pretty irresistible in terms of the, the amount of force that it can project. Uh, you have rocks and trees and other large objects that are carried along and can cause homes to collapse and a huge amount of injury and death to nearby residents. Uh, in the U.S., there are only about 25 to 50 deaths as a result on an average from landslides, but that, of course, depends on uh, the yearly and what happens on a, in a particular are you year. Are about some <clears throat> contributing factors? Yes, yes. Okay. Periods of heavy snowfall, rain, uh, snow melt, rainfall. Uh, if they saturate the ground, they can cause instability in areas that are sloping, areas that are prone to earthquakes and hurricanes and wildfires, other natural disasters, especially susceptible Especially, I just want to mention the wildfires. And that's one thing we have to think about here. In Tennessee specifically, and now California is going to have to think about it in their their hilly mountain areas too. When you take away the natural ground cover, those roots are deep. That is holding the earth in place. When you have something that removes that or damages it, a tornado lifts up the trees and, and yanks them out of the ground. A fire burns the trees and makes them weaken, and their roots start rotting. When that happens, you have more of a chance of mudslides. And I think that's partially what happened in near Denver, Colorado. What's that park area we like to go to? Uh, Estes Park. Estes Park had a fire, and I believe then they had floods, and it was... A horrible situation. Right. Well, they have. There's a lot of erosion because you don't have the trees, uh, living trees, holding right. the soil the, in, in place. In place, exactly. Right. And there are a lot of other things that humans. Uh, uh, of course, natural disasters can cause these things to happen, but humans contribute to this susceptibility to mudslides by poor planning. They ro- cut roads into hills and mountains and and scenic <laughs> retreats like ours, right. and they unfortunately can make mudslides more likely uh, if you're at the base of a hill or a mountain in the holler like we say down here mm-hmm. in tennessee uh you know near a river or, or by the brook yeah, it's also vulnerable now you might say yeah we live on flat land no near to, no need to worry about mudslides well homes are vulnerable to mudslides even if they're not on slopes depending on weather and soil conditions and perhaps underground water sources, caves, for example, right. could easily have Even something to do with that. Even just a small hill. Things can build up from a hill and move downward. You don't have to be at the base of a giant mountain. You could be at the base of, of something that's been sloping for a while. Things pile up as it's moving. I remember one video that you see this mud river right. with all these trees. And it, it doesn't come down at 100 miles an hour. But... It's moving very slowly, but at an enormous force because everything that it touched... It, it takes with it. It just demolished very slowly. So it doesn't have to necessarily be an outright swoosh of, of rapidly flowing water. It can still cause horrible damage being slow and muddy and full of debris. 
Right, the mudslide everything up. The area where the mudslide occurred on the road from uh, North Carolina to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, has this area where there are no longer trees. You're in the gone. middle of the forest. There's obviously it's a it's a slope. It went down a hill, exposed rocks, took away trees, but it's surrounded by trees itself. So obviously it was just a particular area that wound it up was, becoming unstable. It's so strange. You know what it, it looks like? It looks like a tornado tore through it above the road into the road and then down the mountain that's what it looks like and then it looks like there was a mudslide but it all happened at once it was just some torrential mudslide all at once but it it, there's not a single tree right it's not like trees were snapped in half like you might see with a tornado yeah it's just it's just like things were plucked up and they're just gone Crazy. So before dream building that dream home, you better no. That's a bird. Uh, he says the, I'm here. The bird she said, says, "Okay." She says, "Okay." I'm here. The bird's here. Well, I'm glad. Well, <laughs> feel free to chime in, bird. <laughs> so before you build that dream home, beware of steep slopes, of course, natural or man-made runoffs or eroded areas. Yes. Remember now in California and a lot of other places that have been ravaged by wildfires. Well, you're going to have places like that that you're going to have to think about. Now you know there are people in your county. That can tell you what your disaster risks are. You have uh, a county geological survey specialist, probably, and they can assess your property for the risk for mudslides and really any other or anything, type right. of disaster. Right. Now, pipe fittings, if they're more flexible, are less prone to gas or water leaks. So if you're in an at-risk area, you might consider installing flex- flexible pipe fittings. Have them installed by professionals, please. Don't do them yourself. <laughs> Uh, you might consider building a retaining wall in areas that channels that might be likely for mudslides. Retaining walls also serve as fire breaks, by the way. It could be useful protection against wildfires. Um, you should avoid areas that have experienced mudslides in the past. Probably a, a good idea if somebody uh, shows you an area where it was an obvious mudslide and yeah. want, wants to sell right you uh, that property. Well, you know, think twice. Uh, you know, there is obvious, there's obviously a tendency, there's a reason why the mudslide occurred there. Right. So that's all I'll say about that. Now, just like any area at risk for a disaster, you should always have an evacuation route out. That works for mudslides, also for hurricanes and floods and gosh, any other disaster. Of course, have a go bag that, like you would always have for any disaster. That makes sense. You should always have that around. Have a, a weather radio, batteries, non-perishable food water extra clothes and my favorite supply at all a good solid medical kit with items that deal with both traumatic injury why and i know war- where you, you can know get where one you can <laughs> yes i do too store.doomandbloom.net which is now officially a woman-owned business it is it, you are i mean i've officially been the owner. running it the whole time yes i'm <laughs> yes that's right you but are i'm still i still hired you as my medical director you are now. the boss you're the boss. You're the medical director. I'm just a uh, pretty face. <laughs> so how can you tell that a landslide is going to be in your future? Well, mudslide prone areas are going to show signs of troubles on the way. Cracks develop in walls and flooring and paving and driveways and foundations. That's not good news for us because we noticed cracks in the wall. We had to put together a big project to help provide oh, rock-solid support goodness. for our house on the hill. We had to do that. Outside structures begin to separate from buildings. For us, that would be two stories of deck, but so far, everything looks good. Decks are solidly connected to the house itself. Yeah. Uh, doors and windows start becoming jammed. We don't have that problem. Utility lines start breaking. Not a problem for us. 
here. Fences, trees, and utility poles start tilting. We might have a couple of tilted ones. Uh, so that's something to watch out nervous. for. I know. We've got a, <laughs> we're on a cliffhanger. Hey! <laughs> uh, if water starts accumulating in strange places, that may be something that may tip you off. A road uh, When roads and embankments along slopes start breaking off at the edges. Well, we've seen that happen. We've seen that happen on trails in the Smoky Mountains. Yes. Park. But we've also seen it on the road from Gatlinburg to North Carolina. Yep. And, and, and in high altitude areas especially. And during the event, I want you to make sure, always turn on the NOAA radio, listen to warnings as they're reported, figure out a way to warn your neighbors that something's happening. If a mudslide's imminent, get the heck out of there if at all possible. But understand the roads may be washed out. Stay away from mudslide areas if you can, because further mudslides could occur. If you stay home, go get to the second story if you have one. Watch for and avoid down power lines. As the slide passes through, you get under a table, curl into a ball, and protect your head. Sometimes that helps. That's like a standard statement they make, and I don't know if it really helps or not, but it's something. If you're trapped in the mud, survival rates go up. If you can form an air pocket around you, almost like an av- like in an avalanche, you can survive without water for three or four days if you had to, and so that's something you might consider having a whistle on your keychain so that if something like that ever happens, you can still try to communicate with people outside. They might be able to hear you better with a whistle. Uh, mudslides, they're just another reason. Why it's important to be prepared, try to find out just how much you're at risk in your area. Make what I call a good decision, G-O-O-D. That is get out of Dodge if you see warning signs that something's going to happen soon. You know, that's pretty much all the time that we have for this week. I want to thank everybody for listening to Yes. Survival Medicine Hour. Yes, the Survival <laughs> Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Alton. We hope you enjoyed our show our show and we'll be back next week. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.